Thanks for joining me on the Ether Review. Today, William Mugia discusses his book, The Business Blockchain, and also Steamfest, the Steam Conference recently held in Amsterdam. (laughs) So, William, could you tell the audience a bit about your background and how you came to write the book, uh, The Business Blockchain? Sure. So I've been in the technology business uh, for a long time, probably 34 years to be exact. And I started to get involved in the blockchain space probably about three and a half years ago, I would say in the 2000 and early 2013 space. And when I saw what was going on there, it gave me flashbacks to how the web started to happen back in 94, 95, at the time where I was also very much involved in the early days of the web. And coincidentally, I wrote a similar book in 97 called Opening Digital Markets, which at the time explained the advent of e-commerce and e-business. And if you think about it, now we take it for granted, but for the first three to four years of the web and of the internet, it wasn't very obvious to everybody. So not all companies, not everybody understood what the web was all about. So I saw lots of analogies between what happened then and what was going to happen with the blockchain. And we are still in the very early days now where the blockchain is not a very simple concept to understand necessarily. So I uh, kind of started to, to write about the topic and I started to get involved in uh, a lot of the leaders and the pioneers and the entrepreneurs that were at the very front end of this uh, new wave of technology. And it dawned on me that uh, there was a need to write a book that was taking an in-depth look at this technology, but from a business perspective. So I then embarked on uh, writing the book early in this year, and it was published in May by Wiley. Uh, And this was uh, six months ago, basically. So can you tell me a little bit about what the book, Opening Digital Markets, uh, covered and what it ha- and what it had to explain and what explanatory bridges it had to uh, had to build and um, can you draw any parallels with the business blockchain? Yes, the parallels fundamentally are that the the internet and the web uh, are fundamental technologies that are that affected other technologies. So in the book, I I say that. Uh, the blockchain is a technology about other technologies, which means that the, the effect of the blockchain is, is multidisciplinary in the same way that the web is multidisciplinary. It had many functions. It had many identities. And at the time, we, I gave the web multiple identities, including being a network, being a development platform, being a, a marketplace, uh, and being a community space, and being a communications platform. And now with the blockchain, it also has multiple identities. Actually, in the book, I gave the blockchain 10 identities uh, versus six identities that the, uh, the web had back then. So initially, when the web came along, and again, we take it this for granted today, because if you were not there when it started, uh, you, you would think, well, yeah, it's, it's all obvious. We understand the web. We understand e-commerce. We understand e-business, we understand what the power of the the web is, but initially 
when the when the when the internet came along in 93 94 and the web specifically there were many questions about what it would be and it didn't start the way we see it today at the beginning there were many questions uh, there were many unknowns uh, for example uh, paying for something on the web was not a something that was totally accepted for a good 3 years the banks specifically rejected that and for the first three years, we were using what was called internet gateways to uh, allow visa payments to go through the web because the, web, the banks were not mentally prepared and were not technologically prepared to accept the fact that now they have to open up their networks and allow payments, for example, to float through the, this open network that was not theirs. And we hear the same arguments today when the banks look at Bitcoin, for example, as a public blockchain. And they say, well, wow, this is a public blockchain. We don't do business on public anything. Uh, all the business we do has to occur on private networks because the banks are regulated in that manner. So uh, th these were some of the analogies and parallels that I saw. And, and then the, the last thing was that uh, the, the, the web uh, was changing uh, industries and segments one at a time. And I am seeing that obviously uh, the, the, the blockchain is going to change many industries one at a time. Um, and, and then we are seeing this in, in, in the very front, uh, um, in, in front of our eyes today. But it's happening. Uh, it's still in the early days, though. There's this almost Promethean tale about Phil Zimmerman developing PGP, the, uh, the, uh, the public key cryptography communication tool and giving that to the world being investigated by the FBI and eventually and that sparking alongside the clipper chip this argument that uh, that the world should have the you know the entire world should have access to strong cryptography and then there is the uh, the extension to that story where in 96 uh, strong cryptography was reclassified as a commercial technology in the states it was allowed to be exported and then suddenly it became possible um, from then on to conduct financial transactions using credit cards over the internet. Is that an accurate uh, representation of events? Well, I think cryptography back in 96 was not uh, front and center of uh, the discussions that we hear about today when you talk about blockchain, because encryption is very much a very key component of the blockchain. And today, the way I start to explain the blockchain is by saying that this is really about the intersection of three fields that for the first time came together. It was the field of cryptography, computer science, and game theory. And that's really what Satoshi gave us in the, in the paper that he wrote. At, at the time, I think it was more about security in general that uh, the banks and the incumbents were uh, rebelling against. They, they did not, it took a while to accept the fact that they had to open up their networks. If you think about it, back then, everything was done via private networks. There was no such, there was no notion of a, a public access to a private database. And, and the first such occurrence of a public access to a private database that took consumers by storm was, if you remember her, and now we take it for granted again, 
it was FedEx allowing us to track a, a shipment on the internet, and that started in 1995. Uh, so now we don't think about it twice, but the first time, and I was there, that FedEx started allowing uh, anybody to, to track a package on the internet instead of calling and talking to somebody or punching in some numbers on a touch phone. That was one of the first killer apps of the web. And all, all it was really is, is a public access to a private database. So then the banks had to do a lot more. They had to open up access to our bank accounts from public uh, places, and they were not used to that. So I would say that there was probably as, as much of a mental block uh, as, as there was a technological uh, unreadiness to what the web was giving us at the time. And the same thing is happening with the blockchain today. The, the banks are, are having a tough time uh, realizing and accepting the fact that now uh, we want instantaneous uh, transfers of assets. We want instantaneous clearing and settlement to happen. And not just us as consumers, but the businesses now are realizing that all of this latency that exists today in all of the financial networks that we have is not something that we should be accepting of. And the fact is now they are showing us that all of their networks are very proprietary and a bunch of spaghetti uh, types of networks. Uh, it's really the whole world runs on proprietary networks today. And, um, and, and, and that, that there must be a better way going forward. How will the more rapid transfer of financial assets uh, the reduction in settlement times and the increased fluidity of uh, of banks operating through these public networks. How will that change our, uh, our the, the world that we live in and our experience of uh, of e commerce and and all commerce? I should say. Sure. Well, right now there is lots of attention in the in the business-to-business -business side of uh, the market. So in the capital market space specifically, anything to do with financial instruments, with uh, stocks, with bonds, with commodities, with derivatives, all of this uh, segment is, is a huge market. It has been described as the quadrillion dollar opportunity because that is the number that is the size of the number of transactions that goes through the DTC North America. That's just North America. I'm not even counting Asia or, or Europe. So there's lots of latency there in, in the, the gap between the clearing and the settlement cycles. And uh, lots of money is on the table. Uh, that costs a lot of money to, uh, to maintain these, uh, these systems that have to catch up, basically. Because the whole world today runs on databases. It runs on, and it, it, it depends on one database synchronizing with one or two or three or multiple other databases. But this is not a very efficient way of synchronizing the whole world around us. And the advent of the shared ledger, uh, which is a, a base technology of the blockchain, obviously, is that now everybody is on the same page. Instead of worrying about having six databases synchronized uh, over 36 hours, everybody gets on the same page and looks at the same ledger. And then they update their own databases in ways that do not affect others. So it is going to affect the businesses primarily, 
And then it is going to start to affect consumers because consumers are going to want to expect instantaneous clearing uh, and, and everything electronic has to be uh, cleared instantaneously. I couldn't believe that we still are using checks in many parts uh, of North America and many parts of the world. And if you go and deposit a check, uh, often they'll tell you the clearing time is five to 10 days, if not 15 days, if it's an international check. And then uh, trying to do a wire transfer is very archaic uh, because uh, you go to a teller uh, and the tellers uh, don't do uh, wire transfers too often. So it's like you've asked them for a very difficult task and then uh, it becomes a very tedious uh, exercise. Uh, so uh, the blockchain is showing us that uh, all of this could be done much easier and, and the banks will have to catch up and, and deliver these kinds of levels of services. Uh, otherwise, uh, consumers and businesses alike are going to migrate to new alternative types of businesses. And, and these are emerging. Uh, so I see examples like a company uh, called Clearmatics uh, in, in the UK uh, that is developing a, a new decentralized clearing network for the derivatives over the counter market. So they will start with zero customers. Uh, so for them, they don't care about existing networks. Uh, they will onboard dealers uh, and uh, buy, buy side and sell side uh, users uh, from, from day one. And, uh, and we're going to see these alternative <coughs> methods uh, emerge on both sides, uh, of the consumer side and on the business side as well. Fantastic. That's a uh, that's a really great rundown of um, of that whole uh, that whole segment. Um, and so you've codified this in your book, the business blockchain. Yes, I uh, methodically what I say is I I try to unpack the blockchain because there's a lot to unpack in the blockchain. It is not just one thing, and and the way I like to talk about it is not just in explaining it in terms of what it is, but I like to talk about uh, how to think about the blockchain. I think it's more important to, to have a framework of thinking about the blockchain. So I kind of categorize this thinking into four buckets, uh, one being a development platform, two as a utility, as a utility for creating and moving value and asset assets, three as a trust layer, as a trust layer for supporting services, that have a trust component behind them, where there's custody, rights, titles, identity, naming, record keeping, verification, proofs of anything. And then fourth, it's about the creation of a new marketplace. So the blockchain creates new economies. Uh, I call them crypto tech economy. So there's new wealth being created as a result of this, this new cryptocurrency. And it's really a big sandbox for money and business to come together. And for the first time that we can program money inside of business models, inside of business rules. And I, sh I should make a small uh, commercial announcement. Uh, today, actually this week, the uh, Audible version has just been released uh, this week. And uh, we didn't have it initially when, we, uh, when the book was printed. Uh, but now I'm happy to announce that the Audible version is available uh, on Amazon as well. Awesome. Uh, read by Sean Bean? Uh, read by Christopher Grove. <laughs> <laughs>
So personally, I mean, this is a an Ethereum-oriented podcast, but... I mean, Steam comes it uses the graphene engine. It comes for, which comes from the BitShares ecosystem, and BitShares was around kind of before, sort of before uh, Ethereum, but came from the similar a similar design imperative, which was to have a toolkit for designing distributed applications. At the time, I remember Dan Larimer referring them to referring to them as DAPs, as uh, as DACs, DACs, uh, Distributed Autonomous Corporations. And um, and Dan Larimer, who was the lead at BitShares, one of the founders of BitShares, uh, and kind of the figurehead, uh, he uh, he is also one of the founders of of Steam. And so uh, so c- can you explain it? what is Steam? Uh, I do understand that it's very novel, uh, but I haven't really looked into it that much myself. And uh, and can you explain what happened at Steamfest and if there were any interesting takeaways from that? Yes, definitely. So, for background, you're right. Uh, Dan Larimer is is the brain behind uh, Steam, and uh, that was his his second uh, version of uh, of working on a blockchain. So, uh, I kind of give him the benefit of having been there at least. Uh, done one blockchain and learned from it, which was the BitShares. And there were some obviously good things and things that didn't go as well. And everything he learned from that, he put into Steam. And this is like a 2.0 version uh, of, of his work. So there's two things to talk about here. There is Steam, which is the blockchain and the platform. And there's Steamit, Steamit, Steamit.com, which is the application uh, that is powered by the blockchain. Steam and Steam is also a currency. So the best analogy for Steamit is it's like Reddit, but it's a decentralized Reddit, and it's incentivized in the sense that users can earn real financial rewards for posting, for participating, for voting, for commenting, for being part of this platform. So think about it as as Reddit but you get paid for your participation. And everything on Steemit is recorded on the blockchain. So every post that gets published, every vote that gets upvoted, every comment, uh, every, every basically is recorded on the Steam blockchain in a decentralized manner. And just a bit of technical footnote here, the Steam blockchain uses uh, the DPoS, a um, delegated proof of stake. Exactly, the, de- the delegated proof of stake concept for consensus. Uh, so it, uh, it 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 relies on uh, uh, a number of witnesses that are, do a bit of mining, uh, and, and but otherwise it's a proof of stake uh, uh, platform. And it's it's been uh, it's been basically uh, powering the Steam. It, publishing platform since day one, which was in April. So they launched in April, and uh, my history with them is that they invited me in May, actually, uh, to do an AMA, uh, Ask Me Anything, on on Steemit. And I was the first uh, AMA on Steemit, specifically, and they kind of singled me out because of my work in the space, and they wanted me to experience it. Uh, I conducted the MA with them in May, and then uh, before I knew it, uh, I was earning real 
real dollars. I think that AMA earned me uh, something like six or seven thousand uh, dollars just by the sheer nature of voting and uh, voting and, and and the number of comments. So it was very well received. So I was able to experience uh, the reality of what was going on uh, because if you tell somebody, well, you have to be there and then uh, participate and then uh, your attention will get rewarded. And they will think you're, you're just uh, not real or you're just giving them a lie, but this is real. And uh, as of now, I am told that Steam, the blockchain, has already dispensed about $4 million rewards. It was dispensed automatically by the blockchain. So here we have a case where uh, I call this, this is a circular economy. So you, you've done some work that, that was valuable and you earned something and then you can spend the money and, and there, 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 there's this economy that, that uh, is, is a new economy on its own, basically, that is powered by Steam. So what were the subjects of the talks at the Steamfest conference? Yeah, it was, it was varied. So this was the first coming together. <coughs> this was the first coming together of the community of, uh, of the Steam, we call them Steamians. <laughs> and uh, it had about 210 users or so, uh, sorry, 210 attendees that attended uh, five months after its launch and uh, coming from 31 countries. So in hindsight, this is not a bad achievement uh, if you compare it to Ethereum, for example. Uh, Ethereum's Def, DEFCON 1 in London last year had close to 400 users, and uh, this was about a year and a, half, and a half after its launch. So I don't think Steam is, is on a bad trajectory so far. So as far as the, the topics, it, it, it was varied. Uh, it, it ranged uh, uh, from... Uh, hearing from the CEO and co-founder, uh, Ned Scott, about the, the state of the Steam Nation, kind of telling us about the stats and the number of users. Um, they, they have 112,000 users. They get close to 3,000 posts per day. And they are uh, conducting uh, 1.3 transactions per second right now that are being recorded on the blockchain. 25,000 readers per day. Uh, four of them contribute daily. Uh, then uh, we had uh, Neil Strauss, who is, uh, as you probably know, uh, eight-time uh, New York Times bestseller. He's the author of the game. Uh, he spoke about his estimate experience. And uh, for him, again, it was something that he didn't believe in. And then he went on and started to publish on Steam, on Steemit, and he saw the value. So he's now... A, a big supporter of it. Uh, to uh, super users, like uh, there's a person called, uh, her name is Heidi, and uh, her, her name is Heidi Travels. So she travels around the world on a backpack and she funds travels uh, from that she earns being on stage uh, by writing about it, by posting pictures, uh, including a roundtable, a developer's roundtable. Uh, discussions about Steam's uh, governance and its future evolution uh, because they are talking about uh, doing a, a hard fork uh, to iterate on the incentives, uh, mechanics of the incentives uh, as they are today because there was the feedback from the community that they wanted to change um, the uh, way that uh, uh, 
the maturity of, uh, of steam power can expire and the rate of inflation, for example, on the marketplace. Uh, I spoke about specifically uh, what was going on behind steam, what was the, the grand vision of the crypto tech economy and how circular economies can provide value to all of the participants. So it was a very eclectic kind of a conference, uh, which from a content perspective, because it kind of mirrored as well the eclectic nature of the Steemit uh, users, um, which, which, which came from different parts of the world. And one thing that was really interesting to me was about a third of the attendees were women, and only a third of them were developers. And if you think about it, that was, that's exactly the opposite of what happens in blockchain conferences, where you see the majority of attendees are men, and the majority of attendees are developers. So this kind of spoke to the fact that Steemit uh, has a good balance of, of non-technical users uh, uh, coming into the mix. And I'm willing to bet that many Steemit users don't even know that there is a blockchain behind the scenes uh, or that there's a blockchain operating uh, to track, uh, to track uh, the activity. Uh, and I think it's a good thing. I'd like to see more uh, blockchain applications where you can't even tell there's a blockchain behind the scenes. So what's your view of the future of, the, of Steam and the Steamit platform? Yes, I think uh, well, the, other, the other component, uh, again, I think Steam is taking a page uh, from the history of, uh, of Bitcoin and the history of Ethereum specifically. <laughs> In, in terms of building an ecosystem around its technology and around its blockchain. If you think about it, uh, Bitcoin's biggest strength is its, its ecosystem and the number of developers and applications that are around it. In the same way, Ethereum is a very strong second in line when you count the number of uh, dApps and the number of developers. And increasingly, I've noticed the number of uh, ICO-led companies that are choosing Ethereum as its infrastructure is mind-boggling, I think is the majority. Uh, so Steam has also a, an emerging ecosystem. They have a website called Steam Tool that has now close to 100 uh, tools and applications that are being built around the Steam technology, including a marketplace, a magazine, and other services uh, that are useful and build on top of it. So. Uh, Steam, at the end of the day, is going to have its own economy. It's going to have its own currency. And the same way that, in the same way that we, we can use uh, cryptocurrency uh, in the crypto kind of tech landscape and also in the real world, uh, you can go and exchange Steam and, and use it in the real world. For example, uh, the organizers had a fund to reimburse uh, some of the attendees at the other conference uh, if they needed uh, financial help uh, for their travel. And they, they dispensed about $12,000 or so of, uh, of STEAM dollars uh, to, to help uh, subsidize some of these travels. So they, they are paying back. And, and, and then there was, a, uh, uh, there was a small exhibit where there was an artist that would take a, a higher resolution picture using a microscope uh, of your tear, and then uh, would uh, then it was it would result into a. So, sorry, what would they take a photo of? 
uh, of your tier, uh, your, like a, your I tier. It would turn it into a, 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 a high-resolution uh, uh, artwork. So they would take your, your tier and, and uh, turn it into uh, some, with some specific, some special rendering into a, a piece of work, a piece of art. Uh, he was charging $25. So what I, what I mean there is that Steam is becoming a currency that's flowing uh, between inside of the Steam marketplace and externally as well. And I think the same thing is going to happen with any currency uh, where we, we, we will see more and more fluidity between um, the, uh, the cryptocurrency exchanges space and the real world. Uh, I, I'd like to see, and we're going to see more examples where uh, you, might, you might have earned some cryptocurrency uh, but you spend it in the real world of <coughs> service providers that accept it uh, in, in a more fluid manner. So were there many people crying at the uh, at Steamfest? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it was very difficult to get. It was, it was, this was a, done in a separate uh, exhibit space, and uh, not everybody could shed a tear, apparently. Uh, it's not easy, but there was a couple of them that... Uh, I mean, obviously, they, they did the tear thing, and I saw it, and then he would capture it on the microscope. And uh, his name is uh, it's Maurice Mickers, M-I-K-K-E-R-S. Uh, he's a tear catcher, basically. <laughs> this uh, is it, amazing. It was an artifact, basically, of the event. Uh, the organizer of the event uh, did a very good job uh, in, in, in melding uh, both uh, conference content uh, with a bit of uh, tourism and, uh, and and special events like like this one, uh, so uh, and actually he's a Steam developer. Uh, his name is uh, Roland. And, uh, so uh, so it, it was a very very interesting uh, two days uh, in Amsterdam, uh, and I was I was able to witness. Uh, uh, the the energy uh, and uh, the excitement um, of of this uh, of this new community that, that is emerging. So, where can people find out more about the business blockchain, uh, your writings, and uh, yourself and Steam? So, I write on uh, my blog, which is startupmanagement.org/blog, and the book site is called thebusinessblockchain.com. And if you want to learn about Steam and Steemit, the best place to start is to go on Steemit, Steam, S-T-E-E-M-I-T dot com, and just sign up as a user and publish a post or upvote other posts and, and then experience it from that uh, perspective as an end user. Okay, fantastic. Hey, well, uh, it's been great, and I look forward to speaking with you in the not-too-distant future. Thank you, Arthur. Take it easy, William.